Well, good morning. morning. I invite you to open your phones and turn with me to John chapter 5, or the Bibles in front of you, or a Bible you brought with you, whatever you use to read scripture yourself. Um, If you don't have something with you, there's a Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. Open with me to John chapter 5. We'll be taking a look starting at verse 30. Before we get into that, let's pray. Almighty Father, I pray that the meditations of my heart this week would be pleasing to you, would be prophetic to your people, and that you would come, Holy Spirit, and change lives this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So John is one of my favorite books in all of the Bible. Um, I've done a lot of in-depth study on the Gospel of John. Over the years, I took an inductive Bible study class in seminary on the Gospel of John and loved it so much I ended up being the teaching assistant for that professor for my last year in seminary. Um, John is a theologically rich rich gospel. And as you might be aware, John is very different than the other three gospels. If you're new to the Christian faith or you're new to the Bible, there's four gospels and the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all follow a very similar biographical, chronological writing style. They, they chronologically follow the events in Jesus' life and his teachings and his parables all leading up to the passion event, his death and his resurrection. They tell the story of Jesus through his life and through his teachings and his parables. But John is very, very different. Instead of following chronological events throughout Jesus' life and sharing his teachings and parables, the ones that have been passed down by the apostles in the first century, John writes in a completely different style. John uses a lot of symbolism and imagery. He uses miracles of Jesus and conversations, long conversations that they call discourses with people, like the Samaritan woman at the well or like Nicodemus in chapter 3 we talked about. Specifically, there's a pattern, a very precise pattern in John between signs or miracles that Jesus performs and then discourses or conversations that Jesus has with people, signs and discourses. For instance, after the introduction in chapter 1 and the calling of the disciples, we see Jesus' first sign. What was that? The wedding, that's right. Water turned into wine. And then immediately following that in John chapter 3, we see Jesus' first conversation with Nicodemus, his first major discourse about being born again. And then in John chapter 4, we see Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman at the well for his second discourse, a second conversation about living water and eternal life, which is then followed by his second sign, the healing of the official's son. And then last week, Brian, Pastor Brian, preached on the third sign of Jesus, the healing of the lame man, the invalid at the pool of Bethesda, who had been a lame man for 37 years, 38 years. And now this morning, in our gospel reading, from Jesus' third discourse, this is where after the lame man was healed, 
all the Jewish authorities that were there started accusing Jesus of healing on the Sabbath, teaching this man to take up his mat and walk on the Sabbath. And Jesus responds about his divine authority and who he is. And so in this pattern of signs and discourses and miracles and conversations, it happens throughout the gospel, continues throughout the gospel until chapter 12, seven times, precisely seven times. There's seven signs and seven conversations that Jesus has. This is how John frames the first part of his gospel. And it's through these, these discourses, these speeches and conversations that Jesus is sharing, revealing an aspect of who he is in each one of these. That's John's writing style. With Nicodemus, we see that Jesus is an agent of our salvation. At the woman at the well, we see that Jesus is the living water which we must drink to receive eternal life. Throughout the gospel, we see that Jesus and the Father are one, that Jesus is the bread of life that sustains us, that Jesus is the light that is sent into the darkness of the world, and that Jesus is the good shepherd who watches over his flock. In sum, that Jesus is the Christ. And so it's in this context, and in the third of these seven discourses that we see Jesus talking to us today in chapter 5, beginning in verse 30. If you've been with us the past few weeks, you know that we've been in a series on John, and specifically looking at questions that Jesus is asking people in his conversations with them. Questions like in John 1.38, he asks two disciples, what are you seeking? Or in John chapter 3, when he asks Nicodemus, you're a teacher of the law, don't you understand what I'm saying? Or like last week when he asks the blind or the lame man, do you want to be healed? So this week, our question comes from verse 44 of chapter 5. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another? But before we get there, let's look at what Jesus is saying, beginning in verse 30. Jesus said, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This first verse for today's gospel reading is summarizes pretty well the first part of his conversation. If you're looking at your Bibles and you have one of those that has red letters, you see that Jesus' conversation with these Jewish authorities started back in, in verse 19. This verse really summarizes that well. Jesus responding again to the Jews who were chastising him for breaking the Sabbath by healing a lame man. He's responding to the Jews who were persecuting him, even seeking to kill him because he called God his own father. Jesus tells him that whatever the father does, the son does likewise. And he says the father has given all judgment to the son. His words are declaring his equality with God, which really makes them upset. And so we see here that Jesus claims his authority to judge, not only, though, by his own merit or by his own witness, but he points to the father. It's the will of the one who sent him. We see Jesus' humility 
He doesn't glorify himself, but he points back to the Father. And then in verse 31, he, he goes further. He says that if I bear alone bear witness about myself, if I bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Jesus admits that he cannot honestly give a testimony about himself, that no one can honestly give a testimony about himself or herself, only about another. That's the very nature of a testimony. And when a brother or sister in Christ stands up and offers a testimony, they don't speak of themselves or of their accomplishments or of, of their overcoming addiction or persevering through a difficult time. They're testifying to what God has done, to what Christ has done in their life. Testimony by its very nature is a pointing to another, whether it's in the law or whether it's in our Christian witness to how God has worked in your life, it's necessarily about someone else. Now, the word testimony or testify or witness or bearing witness, it's all the same word in Greek. The word martyreo, the word where we get martyr from, to testify, to give witness. And the word is used 11 times in nine verses right here. 11 times. So we must keep in mind the importance of testimony as we consider Jesus' question this morning. And so Jesus admits that self-testimony, talking about myself, is futile. You can't talk about all, you can talk all you want about yourself, you can try to justify yourself, you can try to defend yourself, but it has no validity to it. In Deuteronomy 19 Moses wrote that only on the evidence of two or three witnesses shall a charge be established. True testimony comes from what someone else has to say about you. So that's what exactly what Jesus does here. Verse 32. He says, There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John... And he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Now, at first glance, it may seem like Jesus is pointing to John as the one who bears witness, as the testifier here. But John is merely the middleman the one who has borne witness to the truth, witness to the witness, that the true witness is the one who has sent him, the Father himself. And in verse 34, he said, not that the testimony that I receive is from man. John then is merely pointing to the one who has sent Jesus. And it goes further in verse 36. In 36, it says, the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. It's not just John that points to the Father, but the very works that Jesus has done, the turning the water into wine, the healing of the official son, the healing of the lame man at the pool of Bethesda. These are all signs that testify about who Jesus is about whom the, that the Father himself has sent Jesus. 
And then continuing in 37, and the Father who sent me has himself, himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So Jesus, Jesus first acknowledges that testifying about himself is futile. So he points to the Father's testimony about him through John the Baptist, through the works and the signs and the miracles that he has performed, to the voice of the Father himself, even though these Jewish leaders could not hear it or see him. And to go one step further then, Jesus points to the very scriptures that these Jewish leaders claim to be searching and knowing so well. In 39, he says, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Yes, even your own scriptures, what you believe to be the source of eternal life, they themselves point to me that I am the source of eternal life that my works bear witness, that John the Baptist bear witness, that my Father in heaven bears witness about me. The scriptures themselves bear witness, but you refuse me. You reject me. Jesus' words are just striking to the heart of these Jewish leaders. And then in verse 41, he shifts from talking about testimony about who he is and his divine authority to the practical application of it all. He says, I do not receive glory from people. Remember back in 34, Jesus said that the testimony he receives is not from man. And now in the same way, the glory that he receives is not from man. He says, not my own will, the Father's will. Not my own witness, but the Father's testimony about me. Not my own glory, nor the glory that comes from men and what they think, but the glory that comes from God the Father. And this concept of God's glory continues throughout John's gospel. In chapter 7, Jesus says that the one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But Jesus speaks on the Father's authority in seeking the Father's glory. In chapter 8, Jesus says, I don't seek my own glory. There's one who seeks it, and he is the judge. And later he says, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It's my Father who glorifies me, the one of whom you say, he is our God. And then towards the end of chapter 12, as the writer of John is summarizing and wrapping up this whole section on the seven signs and the seven discourses, he writes that many of the Jewish many of the Jewish leaders, these very people that Jesus is talking about, many of the Jewish leaders believed in Jesus. They believed in Jesus, but did not confess it out of fear of the Pharisees. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. But Jesus says, I do not receive glory from people, but from the Father. Who do you receive glory from? 
That's the question this morning. Who do you receive glory from? And but what I mean by glory is who do you look for for your worth? For your value? For your self-esteem? Do you look for glory, for value and honor, your worth? Do you look from other people? Maybe from your spouse? Members of your family? A parent? From your in-laws? What they think about you? From your siblings? Do you seek your value and your praise and what your worth by what your coworkers think of you or your bosses or shareholders in your companies or from your neighbors, from what friends maybe at the country club might think of you or old high school buddies and how they're looking on Facebook. To what or to whom do you look for praise, for value, for honor, for considering your worth, your success, your glory, who do you receive glory from? Jesus is calling us out. Jesus calls us out. He says in verse 42, this is the CSB translation because I think it just strikes to the heart even more. He says, I know you. I know that you have no love for God. I know you. I know that you have no love for God. And in 43, it says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. Yet if another comes in his own name, you'll receive him. If anything else comes other than Jesus, we're so quick to receive it. We're so quick to accept anything else in this world other than Jesus. Whatever the world throws at us to find our glory, to find our worth in, to find our value in, whether it's in our appearance or in our latest trends that the world has and designer jeans and designer clothes to make us feel worthy and our popularity and how many people like us and how many parties we get invited to and how many likes we get on Instagram photos and our money and our wealth, the status that we achieve by the size of our homes and the types of cars that we drive. Or even in the name that we've made for ourselves in the community. Even by good works and philanthropy. Even in maybe the legacy that we are striving to leave behind. Jesus is calling us out on what we look to, to define our worth, our value, to define who we really are. And then we get our question of the day in verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? How can you believe? How can you say that you're a believer, a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Christ, if you are consumed by the world? If you're obsessed with whatever the world puts in front of you, if you find your worth or your value or your glory in anything other than Jesus, that's the question. A question that's straight to the heart of our culture. How can you believe if you don't find your glory in the Father? And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying you cannot believe. 
You cannot truly believe. You cannot truly be a faithful disciple of his unless you set aside the world and you throw away all those other concerns, completely disengage with what other people think of, it, think of you. In a sense, who cares what your parents think of you? Who cares what your friends think of you? Who cares what your coworkers think of you? Stop seeking the approval of others. Stop looking to your value and your worth from others and what they think about you what they say about you, and look to God, the Father, alone for what he thinks about you. For he alone is the only one that matters. What God thinks about you, how he sees you, his opinion, his love for you, his desire for you. Seek him and seek him alone. Because everything else is worthless. Worthless. Or as Paul writes in Philippians, I have given up everything, everything, and consider it all garbage, rubbish, so that I can gain Christ and be found in Him and all of His righteousness that comes through faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and may share in His sufferings, even in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, so that by any means possible, by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection of the dead, it's that type of passion, that type of zeal that we are to seek after God, to set aside the world, the garbage, the rubbish that is the world, and all the things that are in it and desperately cling to Christ as the only source of our life, the only source of our glory. To find our value, our worth, our purpose, our meaning in life, our hopes and all of our glory and value in Him. In God alone. The Father himself bears witness to Jesus. The signs and the miracles that he performs bears witness to Jesus. The scriptures bear witness to Jesus. Yet the Jewish leaders are still looking to each other for glory. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. So I want to challenge you all this morning, right now, to ask the Holy Spirit in your hearts, do I fall into the same trap as these religious leaders? Even these Jewish leaders who believed in Jesus, as it said in chapter 12, but either out of fear of others or out of love for the world, they chose not to seek the glory of God, but rather were stuck in this cycle of seeking after the glory of men, their worth and their value from others. Where are you looking for glory? In John chapter 17, we read Jesus high priestly prayer to the Father before he goes to his death. And he says, glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you. And he says to the Father, all mine are yours and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And then Jesus prays that all those who believe, all of us who would come to believe, that they may be one. Just as you, Father, are in me and I are in you, 
that they may also be in us. That the glory you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. I and them and you and me. Where are you looking for your glory? Because Jesus wants to give you his. Where are you looking for honor and value and your worth? How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? My prayer for us this morning is that we might all set our eyes on Christ alone. That through his love and through a relationship, a friendship with Jesus, that we might find our worth, our value in him, our glory in him and in him alone. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, come and strengthen and sustain us to set aside the temptations of this world, to guard our hearts from seeking value and glory from all, all other things, all the things that the world throws at us, that by grace we might know that our worth and our glory are all found in you, the only one who is worthy of glory, of all glory and honor and praise, and you alone, God, and what you think of us, and how you love us. And may we be united with you in loving fellowship, Almighty Father, through the love of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen.